I'm a Tar Heel born, I'm a Tar Heel bred, and when I die, I'll be Tar Heel dead. <laughs> North Carolina is a battleground state. There is always an argument going on in North Carolina. There's one about whose barbecue is better and which sauce to put on it. There's the fight over politics, uh, which has left my state totally gerrymandered and twisted in ways that will take years to unravel. And then there is perhaps the most heated argument of all, the argument that is liable to get you the worst haircut of your life if you pick the wrong sides in the wrong barbershop. And that argument is, whose basketball team is better? The University of North Carolina or the University of Duke? Now, it's nearly impossible to grow up in the state of North Carolina and somehow not be dragged into this classic basketball rivalry. Public teachers show ACC tournament games in class. <laughs> Families fly flags outside their homes. And for years... I was one of the most fanatical North Carolina basketball fans. And I would tell anyone who listened that my blood ran Carolina blue, not royal blue. Definitely not royal blue. I never missed a game. And I grew up attending Carolina basketball camp in the summers in Chapel Hill. And really, if I'm honest with myself, I decided to go to school there just so I could watch basketball games. But for me, the games were more than just games. The Duke game itself was a milestone event of my life every single year. And like many around me, I would get emotionally involved. My week would be truly ruined if my beloved team did not win a game that they should somehow have won. And by God, they should have won them all. In the most basic term, Carolina basketball was king. It ruled my life. And it wasn't until after I left college and worked in a refugee center amongst people with really serious problems that I realized what I had given and what I had lost in a seemingly innocent obsession. Taking a step back, I realized it had taken precedence over my schoolwork and some of my relationships, that I let it somehow define me. It had shielded me from the reality of the world around me. I had loved this king, Carolina basketball, with its traditions and championship banners and chants, but it didn't matter because this king did not love me back. Today we celebrate Christ the King Sunday. It is the last Sunday before Advent, and it is a day in which we examine the kings of our lives that we swear our allegiance to, the kings that we love but that don't love us back. It is a day that we look deeper into the radical, subversive kingship of Christ. But before we delve too deep into that, I think it's really worth noting the history of this day. Why do we even have a Christ the King Sunday? The story of this day begins in 1925 in the aftermath of World War I. Pope Pius XI initiated Christ the King Sunday to remind Christians that their allegiance is to God 
and not to tyrants and dictators and kings, and certainly not to a damn basketball team. Just prior to the declaration of this holiday, Pope Pius wrote in an encyclical that despite the end of World War I, Europe did not yet know peace. He wrote, and I quote, public life is so enveloped by the dense fog of mutual hatreds and grievances that it is almost impossible for the common people to breathe therein. Humankind is in need of spiritual peace, peace which will penetrate the souls of humanity and which will unite and heal and reopen their hearts to that mutual affection which is born of love. The peace of Christ, the Pope writes, is the only peace answering this description. Dense fog, mutual hatred and grievances, impossible to breathe. I know it was written in 1925, but can anyone relate to that phrase in this room? Now we know from history that the Pope's appeal did not stop war again from ravaging this world. And God, I wish we had listened. Millions died in World War II because of their allegiances to specific people and ideals they had coronated as czars and führers and emperors and presidents. These were kings that the people loved, but kings who didn't love them back. And I can't help but see today in 2019 the same troubling atmosphere of dense fog and suffocation and anxiety. I can't help but see that again we are looking to the kings of our own creation and not to God. We as a society continue to devote ourselves to the kingdom of material wealth. We bend the knee to cell phones that we look at two or three or four hours a day, checking networking sites and neglecting one another. We continue to swear allegiances to institutions and corporations and sports teams that do not hold the best interest of this planet or its people at heart. And we are kept at a rolling boil, it seems, by our news networks, those royal heralds that would have us look at old friends as enemies and at worst as infidels that must be destroyed. We continue to love politicians that do not love us back. And so how are we to break through this fog? How do we reconcile God's kingdom with this sinful, hurting world? These are the questions we ask ourselves on Christ the King Sunday. In 2019, it feels very strange to be preaching about Christ the King. The very word king kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. At best, it conjures pictures of Elvis in a rhinestone jumpsuit. <laughs> or LeBron James, the king of basketball, throwing down an epic dunk. But at worst, it calls to mind a toxic patriarchy 
men bent on the accrual of status and wealth. Men bent on wearing the finest clothes, eating the finest foods. These men are isolated and dominating, cruel and ruthless. Does that sound like Jesus to anyone in this room? Hardly. Hardly. Jesus is, at his very core, the antithesis of what we might call a king today. He was lowly born of questionable family circumstances. He lived in poverty. He worked alongside lepers and tax collectors and fishermen and prostitutes. His sword was a metaphorical one. He didn't use it to murder people. He used it to sever our ties to empire and inequality. From the gospel reading today, we can see his death on the cross was a gruesome one. He died alone, naked, deserted by his friends and mocked by his oppressors. By all accounts of today's standards, the kingship of Jesus seems a far cry from any sense of royalty. And yet today we do the unthinkable. Perhaps someone call it foolish. We boldly proclaim this person as king. We proclaim this person, Christ, as king. Can we just acknowledge how bold that is, how crazy that might sound? In this proclamation, though, we begin to see the rays of light bursting forth from the dense fog which surrounds us. In this proclamation, we begin to see glimpses of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, here, present in this very room. Now, there are people who would have us believe that there is no power in such a proclamation. And those people have not yet seen the kingdom. Perhaps their allegiances to the false kings in their lives are so strong that they can no longer see a reality or conceive a reality outside that of their own. But there are examples all around us in space and in time which point to the existence of something greater than the systems of broken kings which surrounds us right now. The kingdom. There are so many examples of this. Proclamations of Christ's kingdom literally transformed our society in the 60s when a preacher named Martin Luther King Jr. and the million voices of African Americans broke through the fog. I have a dream, Martin Luther King said. He was talking about the kingdom. In the 1990s, the fog was broken again through the work of people like Nelson Mandela and the Reverend Desmond Tutu. The country of South Africa and the world was transformed because people believed that the kingdom of God was not just some metaphor sitting in our churches collecting dust, but that the kingdom of God is real. They showed us that the kingdom is real and it has real power. The dense fog is broken every day. And sometimes we might not, might not even realize it. But I assure you, even here, in this room, and amongst this people at All Souls, we break the fog. The fog lifts when a group of people come together 
to provide affordable housing in one of the most expensive places to live on the planet. We're doing that here. It lifts when people choose life over profit. The dense fog breaks when food is served here at open door dinners, where people can come get a hot meal, no matter who they are. The fog breaks when seemingly ordinary things happen too. The fog breaks when we offer our prayers to God in this chapel and the bread we break together at this altar and in the peace that we give to one another after confession. The fog breaks there. The kingdom is everywhere around us, sometimes covered in fog, but it is real, it is palpable, and it has power because it draws from Christ's love. It draws from Christ's love. And this is not just any love. This is a special love. This is a sacrificial love. Christ's love is sacrificial. Throughout his travels in and around Judea, Jesus shows us what the kingdom is by loving those whom society deems unlovable. Through Jesus, we can see that this love is what being a king is really all about. Unlike the false kings we see in history and coronate in our own lives, Jesus loves his people more than he is loved by them. It is a sacrificial love, a transformative love. He loves them so much he died for them. He loves them so much that he begs for their pardon even as they torture and mock him. Christ the King truly loves his people, those whom he sees as fellow children of God, and he transforms them. That is the difference between his kingship and all others. Christ the King will always love you more. Like I mentioned earlier, this is the Sunday before we begin Advent. And Advent is a time for telling the truth, the truth about our souls and their conditions. There is a lot of pain in hard truths. There is no getting around that. But within that pain, there is potential for newness and abundance that stands to transform our lives to burst us out of the fog that surrounds us. Hope lives in hard truths. I pray that the coming Advent, which beckons us from just beyond, allows you to take a truthful look at those false kings which we swear allegiance to in our lives and to rest in the deep knowledge that Christ the King will always love you more.